Amen. If you will, open your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts. Uh, We are in chapter 19 once again. Uh, We're going to pick up our reading in verse 21, and we'll be reading through the end of the chapter. Again, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse uh, 21. We continue to think about the the conflict and, and conquest of Ephesus or even uh, the battle uh, for Ephesus. It's not original uh, to me. I I think I've said this a number of times over the years that wherever uh, the Apostle Paul went, the result was either a riot or a revival. Sometimes simultaneously in the same place. And if you think about it for just a moment, it wasn't just uh, the Apostle Paul that he was uh, such an inflammatory personality. It's the nature of the gospel. Uh, That is, wherever the gospel has gone, uh, the result always has ever, has been either riot, rebellion, or revival. Think of it in terms of the great awakenings that we're aware of, the Protestant Reformation, and that which is called the uh, Great Awakening uh, in the early centuries of our nation. Uh, Those things were lived out. They were born uh, amidst great opposition and great conflict. But yet, just as Paul noted here at the end of or at the end of our text last week in verse 20 that that the word of the Lord prevailed in in those uh, contexts in those uh, situations to be sure whenever God is at work there is always opposition there there are attempts from without and from within to dilute and distort and disrupt to to counterfeit for the sake of compromise. That's the way it always has been, the way it always will be. And I would say that each and every time that the gospel is proclaimed, that the word of the Lord is spoken, that within each individual that has the opportunity to hear that word of truth, there is either a riot or there is a revival. You see, when the Word of God is proclaimed, there's only two possible answers. It's very, very simple. Yes or no. Yes or no. The response is either obedience or it is rebellion. And the truth is really this, that even within our individual hearts, because however we understand the ongoing and remaining conflict that every believer has with sin, there is a temple full of idols in every heart that are waiting to be provoked and inflamed to action, that even within our very hearts, 
there exists the simultaneous reality of repentance unto revival or revolt and rebellion and riotous opposition. That's the inner conflict that we experience. And so the question, the question is always, are you going to be revived through the Word of God, through the Spirit that is in work in you? Or are you going to cultivate and you're going to nurture revolt and rebellion unto your own demise? Let's read this morning. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in spirit or in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to these craftsmen. Uh, These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She, whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great! is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them uh, Gaius and Aristarchus and and Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And Even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great! is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know uh, that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess, If therefore Demetrius and his craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, uh, the courts are open and their proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really 
for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you uh, for your word. May we be faithful to it. We have every confidence that your word, the word of the Lord, will ultimately prevail. That it will never, it never has, nor will it ever, return void. Uh, may we speak both uh, accurately, uh, with clarity, and with simplicity here, so that there may be understanding uh, for the sake of uh, the working of your spirit, uh, for the good of your people, and for the advance of your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we concluded last week, and we looked there at verse 20 of chapter 19, as already noted, uh, the summary statement, which uh, reappears throughout the book of Luke, kind of a progress report of the church uh, there in the ancient world, uh, that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Don't interpret that to mean, and they lived happily ever after. That indeed, uh, that uh, prevailing, uh, that reality of triumph took place uh, in the midst of conflict, that, that the, the Word of God does indeed accomplish its purpose. But again, it will always create conflict. It will create controversy as the Word of God is proclaimed, as it is rightly divided, as it is heard by uh, the people. And so, in this time of the Word of the Lord doing that which God had ordained it to, uh, to what God had ordained for it to accomplish, there within the uh, city of Ephesus, we see uh, the historical narrative, we see the, the, the reality, the, the full-color description of kingdoms that are in conflict. That, that are, are in a, a conflict that, that uh, didn't start on that day and it did not end on that day. It still uh, continues. The, there is a reality of these two unseen realms, the kingdom of God Almighty, which I will assure you is triumphant. And the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of the seed of the serpent, which hasn't give up, given up and still engages in a battle that is both futile, but it is still deadly. And so let's look beginning in verse 21. And if you want to uh, note the, the three words, your, your, your memory pegs, your, your devices that I'm giving you to put in the back of your mind for reflection over the course of the coming week, the words are strategic strident and stressful. That is the strategic planning, the strident opposition, and the stressful 
context. So we see, first of all, Paul's strategic planning. He resolved in the Spirit. He had, he had a plan in mind, believing that indeed it was given to him by the very witness of God's Holy Spirit. His planning was resolute, but even in that, as he had planned once arriving in his second missionary journey in southern Asia Minor, desiring to go north and eastward, God changed his direction through the vision of the man in Macedonia, and he went west. In fact, on occasion, the Bible tells us that Paul's critics, his opponents, would accuse him of vacillating. As He would change as uh, the situation and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God would dictate that he change. But he was a strategic planner. He had a, a plan. He ultimately wanted to wind up in Jerusalem. He is sitting there in Ephesus. If you look at a map, you don't go to Jerusalem by way of Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, he was taking quite the circuitous route, to be sure. But he had a purpose. I want to go, and I'm going to visit these churches. I'm going to pick up a collection that's going to serve to meet real needs in the church in Jerusalem, and I'll be a statement of the solidarity, of the unity of those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, there's kind of a three-stop itinerary uh, listed, uh, beginning with the three cities uh, in Macedonia, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, then south uh, to Achaia, then ultimately to Jerusalem. And he says, hey, ultimately, after getting back to Jerusalem, I want to go to Rome. Of course, we know the story. He goes to Rome, and he doesn't even have to pay his own way there. He, He goes as, again, a prisoner. But he wants to go to Rome, Rome, the, really the capital city of the entire known world in that day. And so it was an important thing uh, for the Apostle Paul to go there. And as he tells us in uh, his epistle to the Romans, I, I want to go there because I want to use that as somewhat of a way station to continue westward. And I want to go uh, into Spain. And there, there's some legitimate church historians that believe he eventually did get to Spain. I'm, I'm uh, at best ag- agnostic about that. But at, at any rate, that's, that's his strategic uh, planning. And he lays it out. And uh, as a part of that, he's going to send two of his colleagues, his co-workers, Timothy and Erastus. He's sending them on ahead of him uh, to prepare uh, for his arrival. And so we can say that Paul was a strategic planner. He had a strategic plan. And his planning included an understanding of his context for ministry. That is, he knew that there was only one gospel, but there were legitimate distinctions to be made as to how to preach to the Jews scattered through the Roman world and how to preach to the Gentile uh, pagans. Uh, he, He had a desire to connect and to communicate, but yet uh, to never compromise. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very aware anytime that I try to illustrate a truth, where do I go? 70s rock music, the Andy Griffith show, and MASH, things that a large segment of our church has absolutely no clue what I'm uh, referring to. And so we do need to be aware of to whom are we speaking. It's the same truth 
but we want to communicate it in a way without compromise, but yet in a way that can connect to the understanding of those. So here, I, I want to do a little survey if I can here today. Nobody's looking around, so please respond honestly. If you are of the builder generation, that is, you were born before 1946, raise your hand. Born before 1946, okay? Small, small percentage, okay? Born before 1946. If you're a proud uh, member of the baby boomer generation, 1946-1964, okay? Wow. Those of you born after 1964, raise your hand. Yeah, the majority... Now, some of you, I'm, I'm going to tell you now. No, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go, okay? But those are different, at least subcultures, represented uh, within the church. They're, they're things familiar to me, um, particularly those born before 1946. If I, if I speak of uh, World War II, the Great Depression, they're, they're pretty familiar with those concepts, to uh, the youngest of us, completely foreign ancient history. Really, really is. And, and again, even the things that are very current to me are very foreign to our youngest members. And so there is a, way, a, 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 a need to uh, contextualize while maintaining integrity to the message. And we see examples. Paul preached a different message. Same Jesus, but a, a different message to Mars Hill than he did as he went through uh, the, the synagogues. And so he had a procedural strategy. He intentionally began to preach to the Jews in the synagogue before going to the Gentiles in each city. He chose the largest metropolitan areas in which to minister. These commercial centers were easier to travel into and out of because they had airports, right? Like, like, he could get in now the airport there in the ancient world. Eph Ephesus had a big airport. I'm kidding. Come on. All right. The commercial centers were typically at travel crossroads, land and sea. The gospel would spread from these strategically located cities into the surrounding area. The church at Colossae is an example of a church that was probably founded as a result of one of Paul's students journeying into that city. We have no knowledge of him ever going to that church, but because of his strategic plan, the gospel went out from there. Paul enlisted and trained and delegated various duties to trusted associates, thereby expanding his impact. We see that reflected in the statement in 2 Timothy 2, 2. To young Timothy, that which you have learned from me, you're to entrust to faithful men so they may instruct others and so the truth may be reproduced. It may spread. So he often sent these delegates uh, with communications to individuals and churches. And he left them behind him uh, to complete his work and to instruct and to organize and order the church. He would send the, these guys back to places in which he had ministered to address ongoing problems. While his organization and strategic impl implementation wasn't sophisticated, it was effective in the development and expansion of the church. That is, Within that strategic plan, we can see what you might call exegetical excellence. He was faithful to the Word of God, no compromise, but he also had contextual insight. He had relational intentionality. Let me just say a word about this. 
every relationship that we have, every encounter that we have, no, no matter how casual, should be for the sake of that individual even, either coming to know Christ or coming to grow in Christ. That, 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 that should always be our plan. Family, friends, business, what, whatever it is. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that in every encounter you put your foot on your friend's throat. You say, oh, yeah, I got something to tell you. And, you know, while I'm pressing down here, you're, you're going to listen to me. If that's what it takes, I mean, so be it. But, but that, is the, that is the ultimate goal that people come to know and grow in Christ. And of course, we see his geographical diversity. He did move uh, from, from place to place. Uh, he would uh, have the sense that his work was completed, and he wanted to pioneer taking the gospel to places uh, that it had never been. And so we see again his uh, uh, strategic planning there. Let's move forward in, in the bulk of our text, verses 23 uh, through 41 deal with what I call Paul's strident opposition. Now, let me just state a, a truth or a principle. You write this down, okay? You remember this, that the gospel is a threat to everything and everyone who rejects and opposes. Please remember that, okay? Please note that, that the gospel is a threat to everything and everyone who rejects and opposes it. That, and, and the conflict can get vicious and it can get vile. Let me tell you something. Go stand on a public sidewalk in front of an abortion mill and see who gets vicious and vile first. Even, I've heard of, of, of parents that go to public school board meetings to stand against the, the nonsense being advocated and, and to, be, to be arrested uh, because, again, of the foolishness, okay? And so, again, the, listen, everything, hear me, hear me, everything that is reasonable, Everything that is rational flows from God. Do you hear me? It doesn't mean everything is Christian. It doesn't mean everything is gospel. But, but God is the originator of each and every truth, okay? That which does not originate with God is not truth. Okay, so whether, and we, we can talk about the categories of special revelation, word of God, natural revelation or general revelation, different things, uh, uh, nature and conscience and so forth. Sometimes the word of God agrees uh, with people who have no special revelation that by way of general revelation, they come to a conclusion that is right and true and, and that's good. That's by God's common grace. But all truth is rooted in the person and the character of God, okay? Just, just remember that. And so we see in, in Paul's day this strident opposition. They rightly perceived the gospel was a threat 
to everything that they held dear in Ephesus, okay? It, 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 it was a legit, they, they rightly discerned, and again, the, the veneer of civility got removed. Now, we have lived, I have lived most of my life with what I would call a thin veneer of civility, that because of kind of a nominal and ubiquitous semi-Christian worldview, sort of, maybe, perhaps, that you know, we can kind of agree about a lot of things, that for the most part, people don't get real upset when you say this is a biblical truth. Folks, that veneer is getting stripped away. And we're fixing to see some ugly, ugly scenes, and we're seeing it already. And so Luke tells us there in verse 23, no little disturbance arose. Now, just to see if you were listening last week, that is a particular literary device. It is a figure of speech. It is a way of communicating a truth. It is a way of state, stating a positive by way of a negative. That literary device is known as a... Well, I, I'm here. Okay, somebody. Okay. It starts with an L-I-T. It, it starts with an L-I-T. I, you're a winner. All righty. <laughs> Light of tease. Light of tease. I actually pulled my 44-year-old paperback handbook to literature off my shelf this morning. Just as I have my Essentials of Learning textbook that I showed you a few weeks ago, I have my handbook to literature on my office bookshelf. And I, can, I use it fairly frequently to look up literary terms. Quite honestly, the principles of interpretation don't vary much whether you're trying to interpret the Constitution, the Bible, or secular literature. Okay? A lot of things apply. Okay? So, Paul says what? No little disturbance. And also there in verse 24, no little business. They got really upset because he was going to get in their pocketbooks. Okay? That, that's the deal. Okay? And, hey, you know this. You find out a whole lot about an individual when it gets down to what? The money, honey. The money, honey. Yeah. And so uh, they, they, they realized this. The, the issue was the gospel, okay? And so uh, the issue, look at verse 23. The disturbance was directly related to the way. I assume that's kind of a, a reference to Jesus' own words, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And we see that one, two, three, four, five, that used uh, five different times in reference to the gospel. That the gospel is the way, the way is uh, the gospel. And so the gospel, the, the way, is an indictment of the status quo of unbelief. That, that is, it, it, it is a call to the, uh, an unquestioned yielding submission. It is a statement of the superiority and the demand for an unconditional surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is a challenge 
And it is a declaration of the defeat of all supposed rivals. It is a demand for unconditional allegiance. There are no partnerships and there are no synergistic alliances. It exposes all error. Anything that is different from the gospel is just wrong. You know, strange world we live in, isn't it? Think about it for just a minute. Preachers are always criticized for at least affirming that they are right. Now, I assume what you want me to do is get up here and say, nah, I don't know if that's right or not. I, I maybe, heck if I know. I mean, take your car to the mechanic. Man, I hope I fixed it. But, you know, you may be going down the road at 70 miles an hour, and that bucket of bolts may fall apart on you. I, I just... I can't tell you if it will or it won't. You, you know, you, you, you contract with a guy to build your house. Well, you know, the concrete, I'm a little bit suspicious of the guy that mixed it. I, 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 I don't know if it was the right mix or not. It, you know, that thing may, may blow away, and there's really a question about the wiring. I mean, that, 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 that insulation may fray. That sucker may burn up on top of you. Oh, uh, you know, you, you, go, you, you go to your accountant. Well, I just threw some numbers on that tax form. I hope it works out well for you. Let me know if you hear anything from them. Your doctor. Ah, seem to be fine to me. Ah, get out of here. I mean, you want them to be right, and you want them to think they're right. Right? And so... Again, we want to be right, and we want to affirm that we're right about the Word of God. It condemns all rejection. No, no fence-sitting, no half-hearted joining. And so, the issue was then, and it always will be, the way, the gospel. We see the, the opponents, the opposition parties identified, a, a man by the name of Demetrius, likely not just a, a single silversmith, but maybe a, the head of the local uh, guild. He was, he was able to enlist the, the other members, and again, they were able to, to unify and oppose uh, Paul. And there in verse 25, you see their stated uh, reason. that They gathered together uh, the similar trades and said, you know that from this business, from this business, you, you know that we have our wealth. Again, it's the money, honey, okay, that this thing is a threat to me, but it's certainly not less than the money, but it's everything that the gospel threatens. Now, th think about it for a moment. Imagine Ephesus, an ancient world. Kind of put it on one side of your brain, and yesterday... I took uh, uh, Katie and Drew's two oldest boys to the Barber Motorsports Park. Spent the night uh, getting IV fluids, uh, had my oxygen mask on, trying to uh, recover from uh, chasing them around that, that large uh, facility. But you know what? I might have seen a dozen cars go around the track, okay? Because there were bouncy houses. You know, you, you know what they remembered? Hey, we got suckers there last year, and, 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 and they, I mean, and we, we were on 
a, a, a mission to find those suckers, okay? And there were hamburgers and pizzas and chicken fingers and T-shirts and car seats and car mugs and coffee mugs. and I, I, I mean, it was a complete bazaar of commercial interest surrounding going, you know, around the track. In other words, there was all kind of commercial interest invested in them having that thing. In a few weeks, we'll have a golf tournament here in town. You know what? It'll be the same type of, of thing. In fact, there's a local guy by the name of Gene Holman, uh, Holman that heads Bruno's events that has probably, my guess is, gotten pretty wealthy just kind of setting up these things and facilitating uh, the commercial aspect of various events. And I commend him. I think it's a great thing. I'm not, I'm not critical. But what I'm saying is... It was, there, there were probably two things in play here. The money, and let me just kind of be general, you probably know, the pleasure of what went on in pagan worship within the confines of that temple. And again, kind of the, the ripple effects, the implications of that type of sensuality. So, Imagine this. The conflict boiled down to money and sex. You ever heard of anybody having problems related to those two things? Any, I mean, again, so many people stay in, ingrained in their opposition of the gospel because of those two issues. So we see it uh, very clear here. Now, if you see, uh, he... Demetrius gets it right, verses 26 and 27, that Paul has said these gods made without hands are not gods. Acts 17, 29, Paul said, being God's offspring, what not think the divine being is, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by, by the art and imagination of man. Yeah, he got that right. He, 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 he yeah. Uh, he didn't misquote Paul there. He's understanding, yeah, you're wrong. And so in verse 28, we see this enraged city. Verse 28, they heard this. They were enraged. They were crying out, great is Artemis. And the city was filled with confusion. There's a whole sermon series there. And think about the last three years in our cultural context. Cities being filled with absolute chaos. Everybody's mad. Not sure what we're mad about, but we're mad. And we want to go fight somebody. We want to go destroy somebody. We just, we just know we need to be uh, mad. They found the common enemy. Uh-oh. Now we're on to a principle. The common enemy of all things that oppose the gospel, the common enemy of the world is the people of God who were stewards, of faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will be the object of their opposition, of their scorn, and of their ridicule, okay? And so uh, we see, again, they know they're mad. They know, they know they need to be mad. They just can't figure out quite what the situation is. And so Paul is ready to go in and speak to him there in verse thir verses 30 and 31. The bold, the brave Paul, but probably unwise and, and rightly restrained. And you'll hear me say this many times. Now, 
those of us that are married, don't raise your hands, please. This is not a survey that I want to see a show of hands. Husbands or wives. Now, hypothetically speaking, let's just imagine there's a conflict between the two of you. Now, I know that none of y'all have ever had a conflict. I'm just saying that pretend that's a possibility. And how many of you would say that there's a right time and a wrong time to discuss this issue? And how many of you know even there's a right countenance to bring to that and certainly a right tone? Uh, That is, you can be right and say something in the wrong tone at the wrong time and completely get the wrong result. And so Paul would have said the right thing. They might have killed him. And again, if that was God's providential will, his sovereign will, so, so be it. I'm sure, you know, for me to live, Christ dies game. Paul, Paul would have been fine with it. He didn't care. But just, just a, a thought there. And, and some, uh, I used the example of the abortion clinic. I doubt that were we to get loudspeakers that were louder than they are, even though we could drown their noise, I'm not sure to what effect it would be. Now, maybe very effective. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, that is a hypothesis, folks, okay? You have to think about it and decide if it's true. But probably Paul had this in mind when he wrote 1 Corinthians 15, 30, when he said, why are we in danger every hour? What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought the wild beast at Ephesus? I don't think there's any real knowledge that there were wild dogs or lions or anything that were after Paul. He was talking about these crazily insane opponents to uh, the gospel. And again, of course, he's saying, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and tomorrow, for we die. Again, if, if what I'm saying is not true, why go to the trouble? Okay? And so, we see these ignorant participants there in verse 32. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them didn't even know why they'd come together. <laughs> I mean, I, we could make a, we could make a, a long list. And, and listen, we can talk about the culture. Again, I'm just, I, I know I'm supposed to be mad. I'm just not sure what I'm, I'm at. I, I know everything isn't right and it's just terrible and we ought to burn it all down. A few, a few months back, Albert Moeller talked about a guy named Leon Trotsky. He was a communist that didn't think that Lenin and Stalin were radical enough communists, and so Stalin killed him. Okay? And, and, when, and, and so you find, when, when you find people that just are constantly wanting to radicalize, riot, and revolutionize, and tear everything down, that's called Trotskyism. Trotskyism, okay? After Leon Trotsky, this notorious communist that didn't think that the communists that killed millions of people in the name of communism were communistic enough. And yet, that same spirit sometimes invades the church, doesn't it? Oh, I, I just don't like it. I know, I, now I can't really put my finger on it. I just know I'm mad. Culture and church is guilty 
of that. I just, you know, I just want to be upset. I mean, that's kind of my default setting. Now, I can't articulate who shot who, but let's, again, we see it uh, there, okay? And, and the, the truth will set you free from that ideology. So there were ignorant uh, participants. Uh, Alexander made a futile effort, and again, because he was Jew, Paul's a Jew, they said, hey, we, Jews can't say anything uh, to us about this matter. And there was a rational voice, a reasonable voice there in 35, a, a town clerk. And it, it does remind us that sometimes the non-Christians, sometimes the pagans, uh, by common grace, they stumble across a truth. But, and again, what's he saying? We've got a procedure to deal with this kind of thing. There's no sense burning the town down. We, we can deal with this in an orderly matter, okay? Uh, he, and he listed the procedure for doing this. We've, we've got a way uh, to, uh, to, to handle this. And, it, and again, identified a, a reasonable recourse. And again, the crowd seemed to dismiss. There's a peaceful dispersal and somewhat, again, seems to be a kind of an uneasy peace. Paul was allowed to remain and minister always aware that he was in a flammable context, but he seemed to be able to uh, remain uh, as long as he felt like God wanted him to be there. So let's move forward and just make some analysis and analogies and maybe some applications. Paul's stressful context in ours. We've talked about strategic planning, strident opposition. Now, the stressful context. Again, the enemy's still the same. Uh, the world is still a, vi a vicious enemy uh, to uh, the gospel. And, 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 and as the psalmist wrote, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. Let us jettison ourselves from all witness to reality, to rationale, to truth. Let us bust it up. Let's destroy it. It is no good. It, it is repressive. We ever heard that kind of stuff before? They've been saying it since the psalmist wrote that. Let's oppose God's truth and let's oppose God's messenger. And the psalmist went on to write, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He closes the psalm, verse 9, speaking of God's anointed, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessels. His advice, kiss the sun. That's S-O-N, capital S-O-N. Kiss the sun. Agree with the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Well, why do they still rage? They love their error, their sin. They hate being exposed. They hate all authority, especially God's authority. You know what I hate more than anybody, anything else? Being proven that I'm wrong. I mean, let me tell you, listen, I'll blame it on somebody else. I'll make it, don't look at me spiritual. I'm telling you, do not look at me spiritual, okay? Because it's true of you too. We do not like to be wrong. And the gospel exposes the errors and the lies. 
Jesus said it this way, if the world hates you, note it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you aren't of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Again, what we've had for most of our lifetime, a thin veneer of civility because of kind of some general agreement about this works, this doesn't work, this is, this is true, or at least true a lot of the time, that type of thing that's created a non-dangerous uh, environment. Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We spoke initially about the reality of an internal enemy, and yes, indeed, these things war within us. I've told you before, it is right, or at least it's biblical, to be angry about sin, about all the things that we see that are wrong. My problem is I'm not holy enough to be righteously angry. Most of the time, 99% of the time, if you see me mad, just go ahead and say, Tim, you're sinning. Okay, because I've already gone past righteous indignation. I mean, I went by it, so I didn't collect go. I didn't, I, I didn't collect $200. I did not pass go, but folks, let me tell you, and you didn't either for the most part. And so the enemy is this world system designed and empowered by Satan. The, the evil men who walk in allegiance to Satan, they animate and they implement and they implant his evil schemes and, again, ingrain them. In, in the culture and all of the, the aspects of culture. And so why, does, why do sinners object? Let's go back. The gospel is a threat to their autonomy. That's what they want. Their idol is in the mirror. It's not just a question of eternal destiny, but it is the necessary information by which we make decisions that are made in time and space. Yes, it has eternal implications and ramifications, but all decisions are either biblically defined and informed, and therefore they honor God, or they're acts of rebellion against God. The acts of rebellion not only invite God's wrath, but result in the logical, real, difficult, even deadly consequences of of their actions and their decisions. The truth always conflicts with a lie. The people of the truth are by definition of objects of scorn and animosity of the people of lies. Again, we've already talked about school boards, abortion clinics, you, you name it. The pro-murder crowd, what are they worshiping? This autonomy, this supposed autonomy that is indefensible. Bob Dylan got it right 60 years ago. You're going to serve somebody. Okay? The truth removes excuses. We humans are masters. We are elite, gold medal winning excuse makers. It's never my fault. My mama potty trained my right, me, me wrong. My husband did this. My wife did this. My children are doing this. My boss did this. You name it. We've all got an excuse, don't we? Amen, preacher. Yeah. I mean, we are award-winning excuse makers. We're, we're experts at dismissing the unassailable evidence. Why would there ever be a cigarette sold in the United States of America? If we had any sense at all, duh, the things will kill you. And we've known that for a generation or more. We suppress the truth. 
Indeed, the conflict is rooted, is rooted in reality of two spheres, two realms, two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom. There is the kingdom of Satan, the realm of darkness versus the realm of light, the kingdom of the serpent versus the kingdom of the seed. We see the evidence of this conflict all through the Bible. Let's just think for a minute how the rubber meets the road uh, within our culture. As I, look, folks, again, this is not a new thing with me. Pull, I mean, going all the way back to old campus, Centercrest. If the Bible defines your opinion, your perspective on an issue, you are not entitled to an alternative to an opposing view. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I, I didn't hear it the first time. I, you know, I, don't, I don't hear very well. Okay. And it, it boils down to some transcendent existential questions. You always hear me talk about the, the, the question of origin, where am I from, and destiny, where am I going? If my origin is not rooted in the person and the will and the work of Almighty God, flush me down the drain at your whim and will. But if created in the womb is one who bears the image of God and is intentionally made and designed, then I do not have that right. Question of destiny. What happens when I die? Is it good or bad? If it's good, how do I get to where it's good? If it's bad, what, what have I done to get to, what can I do to get me out of that bad? Uh, the, the truth, what, what, what is truth? Is it just my personal opinion? Is it just how I feel on, on a particular day? I mean, is it, can, can I really say I'm just a woman in a, in a, in a man's body? Is that really true? Is that rooted in a, any type of objected, uh, objective reality uh, related to truth? What is virtue? In Nazi Germany, it was a virtue to betray your Jewish neighbor to the gas chamber of the German regime. Now, it is a virtue to affirm that I am exerting my autonomy by killing that which God has created in my womb because I am autonomous. I make my own rules and I live by them. And you be gummed. Okay, I'm growing in the Lord. If you oppose me. The source of truth. Is it ultimately me? I'd like that. You wouldn't. Is the source me or is it, is it God? Is it, is it universal or is it local? Again, are there binding, is there binding authority? Again, if, if there is truth, is it binding upon me? Or do my individual rights trump any type of individual freedoms? I, you know, I've told you before, politically, I'm no libertarian. I don't trust you, and you shouldn't trust me. I live on a, about a quarter-mile straight, straight stretch, straight stretch, straight stretch, whoo, a paved road in front of my house. It is not suitable for a drag race. My neighbor across the street used to be a really good uh, clay pigeon shooter, skeet, sporting skeet shooter. You know what? I'm glad there's a law that he can't go in his front yard and start throwing skeets, and his uh, shotgun pellets hit my roof, my, my windshield of my car, my windows. I'm, I don't know. There, there must be laws to restrain our stupidity, okay? But those laws need to reflect the appropriate truth and source of authority. It's not just me just because I don't like it. 
or I do like it. That's the case. What determines value? What determines purpose? Again, you really, life has purpose and meaning. You can glorify God in all that you do. Do we have a right to own things? Do we have to give everything away? Can I, can I be happy? How do I know happiness in this life? Is there anything such as true reality? We could go on and on. I've got to stop. Your response, well, Tim, you're just an alarmist. You're an extremer. You're an extremist, an agitator. You know, you're just uh, a fear monger. No, no, I'm not. I'm speaking the truth of the Word of God. The Bible informs everything. We are not free to decide with impunity. We will stand judged by the Word. Jesus is not only a testimony to the exclusive claims of His Lordship. He is the living reality that there's a day coming when all will stand. They will give an account. All secrets of men's hearts will be exposed and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father whether red or blue, conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican, white or black, male or female, old or young, rich or poor, the demands of the Lordship of Christ will either cause shrieks of caustic rebellion along with the vindictive assault upon all who proclaim that Lordship. All these identities, alliances, allegiances will be stripped away as chaff and Jesus will reign. He will rule within the heart personally, presently, and powerfully or you will stand before him as your judge. The battleground is here. It is now. It seems that the days of peaceful, nominal, yet ubiquitous and impotent acquiescence to biblical norms is over. The storm is upon us. The same spirit that created the strident opposition to the gospel in Paul's day is at work and rearing its ugly and powerful head. Our Lord will either break all that opposes him with the gospel of grace or he will break it with the rod of iron. But the opposition will be broken one way or another. As Daniel's vision of the great statue was crushed by the stone, not cut by the hands of men, the brittle chaff of the kingdoms of this world and all of his associations and ideologies will be blown away by our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. The conflict continues. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is eternal. It is outside of us. And it defines that which is right, that which is moral, that which is virtuous, that which should be pursued. Father, I pray that we would know your truth. We'd apply your truth. We'd speak your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.